0: Okay, everyone, welcome to our session on Bacon's New Atlantis. This will be on the fourth part. I'm not at all sure what happened uh, to the fourth recording. It doesn't seem to be on my computer, so let me take a second shot at it. So here is where our narrator um, meets uh, the father of Solomon's house. Um, Now, when he and the other men see the father of Solomon's house, um, he had a look as if he pitied men. So he he must think that human beings in their sort of ordinary situation are in a kind of bad spot Um, and in a certain sense the science of Solomon's house would be devoted to bringing them out of that bad condition and into a better condition if you look at the description of his clothing he has an incredible amount of adornments far more um, than any other character we've seen in the story so far Um, and then we see that the narrator is chosen by his colleagues to be the one who gets to meet the father of Solomon's house So somehow he's risen so much in their estimation, uh, perhaps because of his leadership earlier in the story, or maybe there's something about the fact that he's been talking to Joabin. It's not altogether clear, or we don't receive um, a lot of clear indications of why he's chosen exactly, so we have to kind of uh, take it on the basis of what we heard earlier in the story. Okay. So uh, the men have to kiss the hem of the tippet of the um, father of Solomon's house. Um, So a tippet is just like a really big, fancy scarf. Now, um, this might just raise a general question for us. What is the point of big, fancy ceremonies and costumes? Um, Are they a waste of time? Um, A question that we could ask in a way is, are we better off today for being much less formal in almost every respect uh, in our lives? Is this an improvement? Is this progress or is this a mistake? One thing that we could say maybe on behalf of Solomon's house would be something like um, today, maybe a few of the events that we do dress up for in a nice way, maybe would be funerals um, and weddings. So some sort of celebration about life and some sort of um, remembrance of life in addition that we take these events to be serious. And so our clothing, uh, the reason we would wear nice clothing is to sort of give an outward sign of our inward state um, that sort of announces itself to others. Um so yeah now you could say like yeah in a certain sense they're arbitrary and uh in a way that's right um or you could say that they're merely conventional but they are still again like an indication that we're taking something seriously there's just like um yeah it's a chance to do that so um to justify our own lack of formality we'd have to try to show why that kind of seriousness is misplaced or mistaken or something like that um at any rate we see that the father of Solomon's house Um, says that he will give his greatest jewel, knowledge. um, And it's knowledge both, he says, for action and um, of contemplation um, or of causes. So that is to say, practical knowledge on one hand he has and theoretical knowledge on the other. Now, but as you'll see as we go through Solomon's house, I think you'll be hard-pressed to find examples of just causal knowledge that's not somehow subordinated to practical action um, or helping or guiding political life. Um, For instance, like Aristotle um, and Plato in different parts of their corpus seem to say that knowledge is something that's intrinsically good to have in and of itself. But it seems like to some extent in Bacon we see kind of repudiation of that, that no, what are you doing if you're not um, gaining knowledge for the sake of something? Um, Yeah, a kind of subordination of theoretical reasoning to the practical. Okay, so let's start to take a look at some of the things that they have in Solomon's house. Um, now, if you turn to page 99, um, am in page 100, you'll see um, on one hand that there are underground caves that they use for experiments. Um, and they go down a little bit more than half a mile. Um, that would be 600 fathoms would be about 0.68 miles. Um, and they also have high towers up on mountains that are about a mile, in, or sorry, half a mile high. That's really tall. Um, the Empire State Building in New York City, for instance, um, is only half the height of this tower um, in Bensalem. Now, um, what do you think might be significant about the fact that the first things that are mentioned are reaching under the earth and looking up into the heavens or the clouds? Yeah, you probably are reminded of Aristophanes' clouds, um, where Socrates did experiments like this, and also the informal accusation in the Apology. Not the official accusation, but the informal accusation that Socrates brings up. The first accusers accuse him of looking underneath the earth and up in the heavens or in the clouds. Because at least in the sort of pagan Greek world, that's where the gods would be, up in the clouds or underneath the earth. So there's a way in which that was a kind of impious um, activity, something looked down upon. So in a certain sense, Bacon is saying this is a kind of continuation of that older project in a certain sense, at least, or at least he's um, pointing out or quietly pointing out that Athens is the kind of city that would kill you for looking into these things. Bensalom, the city that we're looking at, is the kind of city that honors these kinds of things, that sort of says this is the highest activity. So in other words, Bacon proposes a utopia um, that promotes things that Athens would kill Socrates for. Um, and just a kind of thing that you can think about generally, maybe for your final papers or other things, um, is a question of, is Bensalem better or worse than Athens? Now, maybe you would think um, they're both bad cities and you'd rather live in the United States or somewhere else, um, or that they both have some good things or some bad things. But at any rate, they're worth comparing or thinking about on your own. Um, okay, so now let's look at a couple of their experiments that I think help make plausible the possibility that they staged the miracle earlier in the story um, that we looked at in part two. So if you look at page one hundred, um, you see that they're or sorry that they have a kind of mastery of water. Um, so if if you see light coming up out of the water, it would be important that they had some kind of mastery over water, especially if they wanted to stop most of the boats except for the boat from the member of the house of uh, the house of Solomon. Um, now if you look at page 105, of five. You also see that they have mastery of light, and this includes mastery over delusion and deceit. Indeed, as we examine these pages, we see that they can manipulate or deceive all of the senses. If you turn back to page 100, um, they can produce frogs and flies um, out of the sky. Um, that is to say, in a certain way, they've prepared themselves to make things that look like biblical plagues if they wanted to. Um, so that, that is to say, it's, at the very least, they have all the tools required if they wanted to fake um, revelation at the beginning of the story. Um, so something else, another emphasis that you see in a lot of different phases of the House of Solomon is a concern with the prolongation of life and the defeat of disease. So it seems like, in a certain sense, one of the things that they want to do is try to live forever. Um, death seems to be a kind of natural necessity, and it was even something uh, indicated to us in the very beginning of the story um, when the narrator discussed them having to prepare to die right before they were saved at Bensalem. So maybe there's a kind of hope that Bensalem can make it so that you no longer have to prepare for death. That does, that's not, um, at least on the basis of these sort of utopian hopes, um, fear of death is something that we could remove from human psychology um, because it wouldn't be something we have to worry about anymore. We notice that they can also make special foods and medicines um, with all kinds of effects on human beings. Um, The scholar who made this edition and the interpretive essay in the back of it uh, made a kind of startling suggestion to me that I hadn't thought of, um, but it it was something along the lines of: Could they be using these special foods to make the people especially docile and obedient? You'll notice uh, or remember before when the king, or sorry, when the the father of Solomon's house came up all of the people, the civilians were arrayed in a very organized fashion. The narrator says, even more organized than the best armies that he'd ever seen or heard of. Um, So it's possible that that's something that they're doing, or at least we can say that it is an option. Um, Now, we see also a funny contradiction um, in the House of Solomon as well. If you turn to page 108, uh, the father of Solomon says explicitly, We hate impostures and lies. Um, So they, you know, it's a kind of uh, honorable or noble love of the truth. Um, It seems that he wants to say that they have. On the other hand, if you look at the bottom of page 109, moving into page 110, he says, we conceal many of our discoveries from the public. They only allow those things to be seen by the public, which they think are politically salutary or useful. Um, so that is to say there's a kind of secret shadow government inside of Ben Salam that sort of lives outside of political life or maybe controls political life silently. That there's a kind of centralized authoritarian rule in the background of Ben Salam. So this is significant for a lot of reasons. Um, at least one of the reasons would be that despite the fact that Bacon is sort of a member of what we would call enlightenment thinkers he evidently does not think that all knowledge should be dispensed or diffused to all human beings, that some types of knowledge are dangerous for everyone to have. And only a few people should know those things and just keep uh, quiet about them. So while he is a sort of, um, I guess, one of the greatest you know, cheerleaders or advocates of science, um, he doesn't at all seem to be an advocate of democracy. So he thinks there's a certain way in which the promotion of science Um, doesn't have to go along with democracy. So he kind of proposes an alternative. So if we want to defend our own way of life, um, or if we want to say that liberal democracy is a superior political regime to the regime of Ben Salon, um, then we'd want to take Bacon seriously and try to refute um, what he has to say. You'd have to think about different holes in his regime or different problems you think that um, make it uh, not a good place to live. Okay, so let's wrap up um, and point out just a couple more things. Now, if you look at page 110, we see that um, there are statues made to honor inventors. So they want to, in a way, like immortalize or praise or get everyone to admire people who invent or discover things. So that's one of the things that they want to honor. Um, Now, I think there's something really striking on page 111 uh, about how they can predict or wish to predict the future. If you look at the top there, he says... And we do also declare natural divinations of diseases, plagues, swarms of hurtful creatures, scarcity, tempests, earthquakes, great inundations, comets, temperature of the year, and diverse other things. And we give counsel thereupon what the people shall do for the prevention and remedy of them. Okay. So I guess in a way what's striking about that is in a certain sense, you might say the people of Ben have taken a kind of pious stance or attitude um, towards Christianity and towards God. Uh, but on the other hand here they seem to say that science could in principle predict any of God's motions. So whereas most um, like I guess interpretations of Christianity take God's will to be at least to some extent inscrutable or that there are some um, some of his ways cannot be known to us. Um, this here, Uh, In New Atlantis, it seems like the hope is that science could predict even God's inscrutable will, like something like plagues or diseases um, or things like that will always be predicted and anticipated and therefore potentially controllable by human beings. Um, At least this is the kind of hope for science that Bacon has. We might also say that one of the hopes, if we're thinking about Genesis again, and Bacon, you'll notice in the footnotes, um, the Bible comes up all over the place. Modern political philosophers were really concerned um, with confronting Christianity. Um, as we've seen, I think, pretty clearly with Machiavelli and now with Bacon. Um, But if we think for a minute about Genesis, which we read earlier, um, it seems one of the purposes of the city in New Atlantis uh, of Ben Salam is to throw off the yoke of original sin. So before it was the case that, yeah, God made it harder to get things out of the earth so that uh, man would have to labor in order to get things. But the hope um, is that Bacon will be able to relieve man's estate That's a phrase that he uses in a lot of his other works, but it is just to say it's to sort of relieve the condition of um, scarcity of goods or things like that, to take control over it and make it easy to get those things so that we can have more leisure. Okay. So that uh, ends our study of Francis Bacon um, in the New Atlantis.